Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have several other podcasts out there, from John to Justin, Pucks and Cups, Coast to Coast, and Canada's Great War. And they're available on all podcast platforms. If you donate or become a patron, I'll make sure I thank you on the air and through my social media as well. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok as Bairdo37. I put up daily videos there all about Canada's history. You can find weekly videos about Canada's history by going to my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash Canadian History X. And if you want to find hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as transcripts of every single episode, just go to canadaehx.com. Today we have my favorite type of episode, my nostalgia episodes. Of course, when we have a month of five Saturdays, the last Saturday of the month is always devoted to nostalgia. I love putting these episodes together, and I don't, because the nostalgia. And the worst nostalgia I had was when I did my episode on Mr. Dress Up. The second worst was when I did my episode on this show. Tired of ordinary television? Don't touch that dial. SCTV is now on the air. Starring John Candy. Joe Flaherty. Eugene Levy. Andrea Martin. Television like you've never seen it before. This is the SCTV Television Network. As you probably know, that's the theme to SCTV. Growing up in the 1980s, there was this show I discovered as a child that intrigued me, but I didn't quite understand it at the time. In the 1990s, when I was a teenager, I started to understand it more, and by the time I reached my 20s, I saw that it was one of the funniest shows ever created. It was SCTV, and we're looking at that show that shaped comedy to this very day. The show was unlike any form of comedy show before it. Rather than being a series of sketches that are not connected, 
A typical episode of SCTV presented an assortment of programming seen on the station during its broadcast day. Everything from news, sitcoms, movies, talk shows, children's shows, and game shows would feature in a typical episode. And this allowed for the community of Mellonville to become a character, and several reoccurring characters gave life to this. Most shows on television have a clear origin as to who created the show, but for SCTV, things are a bit murkier. In 1976, Andrew Alexander was the producer of Second City, a stage show in Toronto that was part of the famous Chicago Second City, and he was looking to expand the show into television. He met with his cast, which included John Candy, Eugene Levy, Dave Thomas, and Joe Flaherty, as well as others like Harold Ramis, to discuss what a Second City television show would look like. Several ideas were put out, but it was an idea attributed to either Sheldon Patinkin or Del Close to create a show around the world's smallest television station. Everyone at the meeting was immediately interested in the idea, as it provided the opportunity to develop a wide range of characters and scenarios for the show. The global television network, based out of Toronto and made up of several small regional stations in southern Ontario at the time, would produce the first season of the show. The show had been offered to CBC initially, but they had issues with the improvisational nature. Levy would say in 1978, quote, They thought maybe we'd take six Bentwood chairs, you know, improvise for half an hour. Good for you, CBC. Stick with the winners. End quote. As it turned out, CBC would eventually reverse that mistake of not taking on SCTV as a show. The first season would constitute 26 episodes, but they were released in a very odd manner. The first six episodes were released once per month. The next seven episodes, broadcast from February 1977 to the spring, were broadcast bi-weekly. Then, in September of 1977, 13 more episodes were ordered, and they were broadcast once a week through to the end of the year. To start, the budget of each episode was $5,000. These 26 episodes, broadcast in an irregular fashion, are today considered to be the first season. The cast at the time was made up of the members of the Toronto branch of the Second City Troupe, while Ramus came from the Chicago troupe. The Toronto cast consisted of John Candy, Joe Flaherty, Eugene Levy, Andrea Martin, Catherine O'Hara, and Dave Thomas. All of the cast members also served as writers on the show, and Ramus was the head writer. When a second season was ordered, the show became a weekly production and it went into syndication in Canada and the United States in 45 cities. This made the show the first Canadian series to air on an American network. The Ottawa Journal reported, quote, this year, the show has gone international and is a TV attraction in almost every major city in the United States, as well as the UK and Australia. End quote. Dave Thomas would say, quote, The notorious Swedish suicide rate has dropped since we penetrated there. Perhaps the Swedes realize they aren't so badly off compared to some. End quote. One major change for the show was that Ramus was no longer part of the cast after the third episode of season two, but was still credited as the head writer for most of the season. SCTV would do poorly in the U.S. ratings, but it would gain critical acclaim. The Los Angeles Times would write, quote, Best comedy show on TV, maybe the best one in TV history, end quote. The Soho News would say it was the funniest show on earth. New York Magazine would write the show was, quote, Smashingly funny, audacious, and needingly accurate, end quote. Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, who were finding international fame themselves at the time, were highly praiseful of SCTV. And Alexander would say, quote, in the United States, the show was always something of a well-kept secret. Certainly, it was not on the lips of every American. End quote. Alexander would add in another interview with the Ottawa Citizen, quote, What can I say? It's the most successful independent internationally syndicated program in this country's television history. Give you an example. In Chicago, we're on right after Saturday Night Live, and early this winter we started to beat them in the ratings. End quote. 
Part of the growing success of the show was the fact that while it was made up of Canadian actors filming in Canada, there was a concentrated effort not to say that Mellonville was in Canada for the most part. Alexander would say, quote, It's deliberate that we don't mention we're coming from Canada. There's some kind of stigma for U.S. buyers about Canadian programming. End quote. Sometimes the show would make a version of a sketch for Canadian audiences, while Americans would get another version. Alexander relates, quote, We worked up a funny skit about Gay Lafleur and Daryl Sittler, but the executive who distributes the show in the U.S. said, What are these guys? Eskimos? What's hockey? So the skit ran on the Canadian show, but was cut out of every other place. End quote. Now I'm going to sidetrack now to talk a bit about the show's content. As I mentioned, SCTV was a parody of television stations in a small town. So, it would often show extremely funny movies that were parodies of actual movies. An example of this is Grizzly Abrams, a parody of the life and times of Grizzly Adams. In Grizzly Abrams, rather than having a bear, Abrams had a tortoise, and when he was trapped under a fallen log, the tortoise went for help, returning with police long after Abrams had died. Late-night advertisements were also a common part of the show, featuring places such as Chet Vet the Dead Pet Remover and, very funny, Texan Edna Boyle's Prairie Warehouse and Curio Emporium. The heart of the show were the sketches that centered on the staff of SCTV and the people of Mellonville, and there are far too many for me to cover here, so I'm going to look at my favorites. SCTV News, also called Nightline Mellonville, featured Flaherty and Levy as Floyd Robertson and Earl Camembert. This news program did not use real-world events in the news stories, but made up events typically centering on Mellonville. One running gag of the show was that Robertson, the more respected of the two anchors, always had the hard news items to report, while Camembert, the hapless anchor, typically had trivial and poorly reported stories. I'm Floyd Robertson. And I'm Earl Camembert. <laughs> and this is the SCTV News. Uh, excuse me for a moment, please. Earl, what are you doing? Well, thanks for asking, Floyd. I'm having my dinner. It is 6 o'clock, the dinner hour, and I know that many of our viewers uh, like to eat while watching the news, so I invited myself for dinner, so to speak. Hope you don't mind. I think it makes the hard news of the day a little easier to digest. Dig in, everybody. <clears throat> Today's top story... Another earthquake hit the tiny Republic of Togo last night. It was the 23rd quake in the past two months. Governor Ayub Benzwell was reported to have stated that he was pleased at how calm the Togo citizens are now reacting to the quakes. They have learned to live with disaster, he said. However, he expressed concern over the fact that there is now mass hysteria and panic between quakes when things are perfectly normal. Earl? Pass the butter, please. Floyd, I don't mind telling you, uh, although this uh, roast beef au jus looks succulent enough, it's, uh, it's a little tough. A little tough. <laughs> Though not as tough as the situation in Angola, where rebel forces continue to batter the capital city of Luanda with machine gun and mortar fire. But as many of you know, my feelings about African politics are much the same as my feelings towards uh, cold peas. Uninteresting. I merely scrape them off the plate and into the garbage, which is exactly what I'll do with this particular item. Wood. Earl, 
I would uh, very much like to sit down with you one day and have you explain to me exactly how your mind works. Certainly, Floyd. It's not that complicated. That much I know. Monster Chiller Horror Theater featured Flaherty as Count Floyd, a vampire who for some reason howls like a wolf. Count Floyd would rarely pick movies that were actually scary and often introduce movies he had never seen with names such as 3D House of Beef. It would later turn out that Count Floyd was actually Floyd Robertson working a second job. Mel's Rockpile was a very funny dance show that was hosted by Levy in character as Rock and Mel Slurp, a nervous man in glasses who played terrible pop songs for angry teen guests. Mayor Tommy Shanks was the mayor of Mellonville, who was a man prone to sudden outbursts of rage and physical violence during his fireside chats on SCTV. Shanks, who was played by Candy, would often feed treats to a stuffed dog that sat motionless next to him. Candy also played Johnny LaRue, the drunk who always wore a smoking jacket and was trying to keep his last fleeting moments of fame alive. The following is a paid political announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to present your candidate for city council, Johnny LaRue. Oh, hi, I'm Johnny LaRue. I want your vote. I'm not going to beg you to vote for me. and I'm not going to lie to you or try to fool you with any fancy figures or statistics you wouldn't understand. All I want to do is give you the straight dope on me and why I'm running for office. Now, a lot of people criticize me for being in show business. They say that actors should stay out of politics. Well, I'd like to see one of them try to handle a tricky role like Hamlet or Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman. Others say I lack the educational background to understand complicated issues. Well, I've been looking over the government reports here, uh, on tax reform, made the public schools, land use statistics, economic growth projections. Hell, you'd need a college degree to understand it. And even if you could understand it, you wouldn't care anyway. No, if I'm elected, you're not gonna find me with my nose buried in any law books or any reports. People are where it's at. It's people that I love. <laughs> Fine looking family, isn't it? Well, it isn't my family. But if I had a family, they'd probably look just like that. <laughs> Aren't you a cutie? <laughs> oh! You're fired. Get out. You're disgusting, LaRue. Get out. He's going to lose you. You're all fired. As you can see, uh, I'm not afraid to take a tough stand on important issues. So remember, this election day, vote for me, Johnny LaRue, if you know what's good for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, come here. A lot of people have been saying that I've got mafia connections and that I'm gay. Well, I'm not gay. I just want the gay vote, that's all. I want all the votes. <laughs> Vote for me. The preceding was paid for by the Sicilian Homophile Society. Candy would say of playing so many characters on the show, quote, I'm going to be a psychiatrist field day after this. Well, who are you? Well, I'm not sure. I don't know. Do you? That's what I'm paying you for. End quote. Edith Prickley, played by Andrea Martin, was the station manager at SCTV, and she would appear always in leopard print, talking fast and ordering people around. Martin would say of the creation of the character, quote, we're doing a PTA skit, a bunch of concerned parents confronting the teacher, and as the skit started to roll, I decided I'd be this brash, aggressive woman, kind of loud and know-it-all. I'd be Edith Prickly, and I've kept the character ever since. End quote. Guy Caballero, the wheelchair-bound owner of SCTV, was played by Flaherty, and often had terrible ideas for directions to take the network. Online security is something I know a bit about. Before I was a podcaster, or even a journalist, I was a network administrator. Keeping computers secure at my work was paramount to what I did, and it was very difficult to do 15 years ago. But now, a company like NordVPN makes it much easier to stay safe online 
and not be exploited by hackers. NordVPN allows you to change your IP address, which makes you harder to track and that secures your privacy online. Their software is easy to set up and easy to use. With it, you are one click away from security online and protecting yourself from those who want your information for nefarious purposes. For all of my listeners, NordVPN is offering a discount on their service. Just go to nordvpn.com EHX and enter in the offer code of EHX to take advantage of the savings. You can also click the link in my show notes. Your internet security is only one click away through a reliable company like NordVPN. By far, the most famous characters created by the show were Bob and Doug McKenzie, starring Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas. The creation of the brothers has itself become part of Canadian lore. The CBC had requested that the show feature two minutes of identifiable Canadian content in every episode. The cast and writers of SCTV thought this was dumb since the show was written by Canadians, starred Canadians, and was filmed in Canada. Thomas would say, quote, What the hell do you want us to do? Sit in front of a map of Canada, put on Tukes, drink beer, and eat back bacon? And we did. Both of us were surprised when it caught on. End quote. In 1980, the brothers appeared for the first time, and they would appear in every episode until Thomas and Moranis left the show. The two-minute segments were completely improvised and taped in marathon sessions all at once. Moranis would say, quote, Most people don't know it's improvised, but boy, if you ever saw the 60 that haven't been aired. End quote. Oh, good day. Good day. Good day. Good day, how's it going? I'm Bob McKenzie, it's my brother Doug. How's it going, hey? We got two topics today, back bacon and long underwear. Like, they're different topics, right? Okay, first topic, well, I don't know which one should be first. Which one should... Uh, go long underwear and then food as a reward. Okay, long underwear is our topic today, and my guest is my brother. (laughs) How's it going, hey? Just like on real shows. Yeah. My guest today is my brother Doug McKenzie. How are you? uh, Good day. He's like an expert, right, on long underwear. That's right. Because he, like, dirties them so much. (laughs) Okay, no, seriously, though. Uh, Long underwear, right? How do you know when to use it? Well, what? I don't dirty them, me. No, I was just kidding. How do you know when to use it? Well, simple, when it's cold out, right? Okay, the other topic. Wait, I thought I was the expert. Oh, okay. Don't I get to have a view here? Yeah, right, a view. Okay, Okay, go. Well... For long underwear, the difference is that it, instead of ending here, it goes all the way down oh, here. Well, they know that. But go on. And then you can get them like thick or thin, depending on how cold. If it's real cold, you get thick. If it's real thin, you get thin. Or you could wear two thin pairs. Cold, you get thin. You what? wear two thin pairs. Jeez, I'm getting scared now. What? Food. Next topic. Okay, next topic's back bacon. And look what happens when you overcook it. It shrivels up, right? You put beer in that. That's why I did that. No, we always put beer in that. You don't. He, we used to use margarine. Now we use beer. We always use For, beer. like, eggs, eh? To keep it from sticking the pan, you pour beer in. Like, why is there no back bacon-flavored gum? That'd be great, right? mm. So that's our show for today. So good day. I think that was, like... The worst show we ever No. Did. No. Was being worse? No, it was a good show, because, like, we, we had two topics. The characters have now become cultural icons in Canada and grew to be big enough characters that they would star in their own movie, as well as on commercials and in television and film cameos. In 1982, during the debate of the Canadian Constitution in the British Parliament, a London-based reporter got tired of cheap shots aimed at Canada and responded in a letter to the London Times stating, quote, 
You're all a bunch of hosers. Take off, eh? End quote. The Times editor would contact the reporter to make sure that what he said wasn't obscene. The huge response to Bob and Doug McKenzie would actually cause some friction behind the scenes as other cast members grew envious of the financial and popular success of the characters and their movie and album. Their album alone sold 350,000 copies in Canada and 650,000 copies in the United States. And if you've never heard of the Bob and Doug McKenzie 12 Days of Christmas, well, that might be the greatest Christmas song ever made. Thomas would say later that the characters, quote, became a pain in the ass for the other performers, end quote. For Moranis and Thomas, it also became a pain to associate with the characters at times. Speaking of some of the fans, Thomas would say in 1996, quote, They didn't care what we said, they just wanted us to chug a beer, end quote. Moranis and Thomas would recreate their characters in the movie Brother Bear as a Pair of Moose, and today a statue of Bob and Doug McKenzie can be found in Edmonton near Rogers Place. They sit on a bench and you can sit with them to get a picture. Dave, thanks so much for joining us, and a big congratulations on the statue of you and Rick Moranis. It's Bob and Doug McKenzie. Oh. Well, thank you very much. It's quite an honor. And, um, you know, we were kept in the loop by uh, Paul Allard, uh, who's been part of this, and uh, Carol Hansen, who I think you know. Absolutely. And, uh, and um, so we'd known about that this was in the works for a while, but, you know, we're in showbiz, and in showbiz... It's not on till it's on. You right. know what I mean? And you know what? These are high honors because did you realize you're just a stone's throw from the Wayne Gretzky statue? I didn't realize that. That sounds fantastic. Thomas would say in 2007, quote, It's odd the stuff we worked the hardest on on SCTV had nowhere near the commercial value or longevity that these two basically throwaway characters did. End quote. Guest stars would also become a fixture of the show, including John Mellencamp, the Boomtown Rats, Hall & Oates, Carl Perkins, Joe Walsh, Tony Bennett, Bill Murray, Robin Williams, and many more. Often the guest stars were part of the sketches themselves, sometimes promoting movies that did not actually exist. Tony Bennett would state that his appearance on the show helped to start a significant comeback for him. The writing process often involved creating characters in the makeup chair and seeing what came out of it. There was also a system to figure out which ideas worked. Look, do me one thing. I think your Bob Hope is out of this world. <laughs> your Brinkley is good, but your Hope is sensational. My Cronkite. Your Cronkite. Rick does Brinkley, yeah. That's right. I'm sorry. But you do the Hope. Yeah. How do you... Was that a difficult thing to do? Obviously, you've had to adapt to American uh, landmarks in order to sell your, your show in the States, which bothers me. I wish we could have kept you here forever and ever. But is Hope hard to do? Yeah. Uh, I... I discovered that it was it's it's the way a lot of characters are discovered on SETV. Combination of costume and makeup. I I got made up. They put a, a, a little ski jump nose on the end of my nose. I looked in the mirror and I thought, see something's wrong. And I just I just started sticking out my jaw. And as soon as I stuck out my jaw, you know, I and spoke out of the side of my mouth. There was was it you who did Cavett? Cavett? No, Rick did Cavett. That was a brilliant performance. Yeah. Cavett interviewing himself. One of, I know. one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> and Rick's favorite partner, too, himself. <laughs> <laughs> the Calgary Herald reported in 1978, quote, The writing room for the series looks like something out of one of the troupe's sketches. A large, bare conference room, table piled high with styrofoam coffee cups, and a notice board covered with various colors of 3x5-inch file cards. End quote. The pink cards were funny ideas. The white cards were funny ideas that had been executed into scripts, but there was also a segregated white card row of ideas that were executed but failed. Joe Flaherty would state about the writing of the show and the challenges of it, quote, The problem with everything we do on our show is to make it intelligent without being arcane. We have to find the fine line. We can't be entirely wild like Saturday Night Live. 
they have more leeway because they got to be the darlings of NBC right off the bat. With us, we have to balance things, make it accessible to our audience. End quote. I think we lost some viewers already. What's a, what's a writing uh, uh, session for uh, the Second City people like? I mean, is it wild and woolly or is it really serious? <clears throat> um, it's, uh, it's not wild and woolly and it's not really serious. What it's, is it? I don't know. You go in uh, to little rooms and you write your little scenes and then um, you sit around a big table and everybody, it's like a read-through, and you read through the scripts, and then everybody says, well, I don't like my part in this, and this script stinks, and this is bad, and this is terrible. And then you go back and rework it. You know, it's not that bad, no. It's not it like, was for a while. It was for a while. It's not like the old Firehawk. I mean, every time you go back to, to see Second City on the stage, it's different, even though it's the same review. I, I actually don't know how work is done, because we do, you, you go in at 10 o'clock, 10 to 6, it's like a normal office hours. And you just laugh. I mean, we do. We just have a great time. We have a, a really fine time. You've got, you must be able to get along well with the group, though. I mean, the, the Eagles must stop at the door, do they? We've been together, this troupe. Um, we started the television show in 1976, so it's not, like, it's not like an overnight kind of sensation. It started as a half-hour local show here in Toronto. And after seven shows, we got uh, picked up for syndication. Got no promotion, no publicity. It was just word of mouth that kept the show going in all these cities, you know, that kept the numbers up. They had little pocket followings of uh, people in different cities that were fanatic fans of the show. And, uh, and then now we're on network. So it's been six years with the television show. Plus, uh, we worked together at the Second City Theater in Toronto. Uh, Andrea, you know, John Candy, mm -hmm. Joe, myself. Uh, Rick Moranis is the only person in the company who did not come up through Second City. BC ranks mm -hmm. in television, was a disc jockey, and he's been is a really Second wonderful City? addition to the show. The show was on hiatus during the 1979-80 season, but it would return the following year and in a new location. Due to the high production costs of the show, the show was dropped by Global, but the independent station CITV in Edmonton, Alberta, struck a deal to produce SETV out of its Edmonton facilities. At this point, and for the next three years, CBC would also broadcast the show. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, because um, I think it was crazy for the ITV people at, uh, at the studio there on Allard Way, mm -hmm. Northwest, or I think that's what yeah, it's called. Yeah, that's right. And... Um, they had, prime, uh, previous to us being there, they'd done mainly news and cooking shows and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're being asked to do Godfather parodies and, you know, um, <laughs> things yeah. where, where we, we needed to get a likeness on camera of, of sets and, and uh, lighting that were in films. And John Blanchard, who was the director, and, and, and all the crew at Global really stepped up and took the production quality uh, of the show way, way up a notch. Robin Duke, Tony Rosato, and Rick Moranis were added to the show, and in Edmonton, the cast had little to do but work, so they would spend all day improvising skit ideas on a tape recorder, testing them, and then performing them. In 1981, NBC picked the show up in a 90-minute format to replace the cancelled Friday night show, The Midnight Special. The turnaround was extremely quick for the show with season four. Only two months after season three ended, season four had begun to air. Once again, back in Toronto, the show was broadcast in the late block of Friday nights on NBC and billed as SCTV Network. 
Due to the quick turnaround, several early episodes were essentially broadcasts of Season 1 to 3 episodes. Near the end of Season 4, Martin Short joined the cast, taping three episodes before O'Hara, Thomas Moranis left. By this point, the show was costing $600,000 per episode. Candy would say of the departure of Thomas Moranis, quote, I think their film careers are blossoming in other directions with directing, writing, and starring in their feature film. I don't know if they're going to have time to come back. Apparently, they have another album coming out, and they're doing another movie next summer. End quote. Candy, who would stay with SCTV out of loyalty despite offers from Saturday Night Live, would act in less episodes as the seasons went on. He would say, quote, I'm looking at all sorts of varying projects right now, but they're sending all kind of weird scripts. I don't know what sort of image I have out there. End quote. The characters in town of Mellonville was so vibrant that critics praised the show for being much deeper than people realized. The Calgary Herald would report, quote, The characterizations are so sure, so accomplished, and the script so well written that you can find yourself thinking on some other plane in some other dimension, the television city of Mellonville may actually exist, end quote. Levy would say, quote, A lot of people probably don't like it because it is really the kind of show you have to watch from week to week to understand the characters you're seeing and why those characters are funny when there are no joke lines in the scene. We don't spoon-feed the audience at all. We do what we want to do. We do it as best as we can and as true to the characters and the piece we can, as opposed to doing anything tongue-in-cheek, end quote. Season 5, which consisted of 14 episodes, had the cast consisting of Candy, Flaherty, Levy, and Short. For the last part of the season, John Hempfill and Mary Charlotte Wilcox joined the show, and both Ramis and O'Hara also returned for one episode as guest stars. Candy would say of the shows in that era, quote, The six shows we're doing now are possibly some of the best stuff. Our biggest problem is time. We just don't have the time. It's hard, very hard, but not too many people can say, I've got to work today and fly as Peter Pan, or I've got to dance today with four Mambo girls like I did last night with an 18-piece band, end quote. In March of 1983, the last original episode of SCTV for NBC was broadcast, with reruns continuing until June. The Calgary Herald would write, quote, Network TV accommodates drivel and slop in 31 flavors, yet it's possible that room no longer exists on the tube for a triple scoop of comedy riches like SCTV Network. The best comedy show on TV, maybe the best one in TV history, is in danger of becoming extinct. End quote. For the final season, the sixth of the show, NBC was offered the time slot of Sunday evenings, but the show's producers were unhappy with this as it would mean the show would be altered to appeal to family audiences, while also facing strong competition from shows such as 60 Minutes. The final season of the show would instead move to Super Channel in Canada and Cinemax in the United States. The runtime was now 45 minutes, and new episodes, 18 in total, were broadcast from November 1983 to July 1984. For the final season, the cast consisted of Flaherty, Levy, Martin, and Short, with guest appearances by Candy, Thomas, and O'Hara. In all, the show produced 72 half-hour shows, 42 90-minute shows, and 18 45-minute shows. Over the course of eight years, the show had 11 cast members, and then on two pay TV channels. During its run, SCTV picked up 15 Emmy nominations, typically with several of its own episodes competing against each other in the writing category. In 1982, the episode, Moral Majority, won an Emmy Award for writing, and one famous incident occurred at the ceremony when Joe Flaherty accepted the Emmy Award. The presenter, Milton Burrow, began to interrupt the speech with sarcastic comments such as, Oh, that's funny. Flaherty then turned to Burrow and said, Sorry, Uncle Milty, go to sleep. This was a parody of what Burrow used to say in the 1950s at the end of each episode of his television show. 
for, uh, for outstanding writing in a variety or musical program. These are the nominees. The writers of uh, I Love Liberty. SCTV Network Cycle 2, Show 2. SCB, SCTV, <laughs> really, Milton? <laughs> Network Cycle 3, Show 1. SCTV Network Christmas Show. And SCTV Network Moral Majority Show. And the winner is... <laughs> the... <laughs> the... <laughs> The majority, moral majority show of SCTV Network. There they are. Melt it down, because you know what? Gold is today. Who's going to make the speech? Oh, which one? Oh, you? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I, I can't believe that we got something up here bigger than the cast of uh, Hill Street Blues. <laughs> Which That's we've done funny. on our show. <laughs> All right. I'd like to thank. Sorry, Uncle Milty. <laughs> go to sleep. Okay. Uncle Milty. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I'd like to thank uh, ITV Edmonton. I'd like to thank um, everybody involved in Edmonton, our producers, Andrew Alexander and... Uh, and everybody, uh, the other producers, uh, there's a lot of them too. And um, uh, NBC, of course, who picked us up. And they were Hurry just up, we're 15 okay. minutes over. All right. And my uh, daughter, Goodwin. Hello, Goodwin. In 1983, the show swept all of the nominations for the Emmy writing category. Alexander would say, quote, The writing award means a lot to the cast because a lot of people don't realize that they do the bulk of the writing. End quote. The Red Deer Advocate would write, quote, SCTV took the high and safe road, sticking to clean comedy that no one would be embarrassed to watch. But for all its hipness and bite, SNL could not beat SCTV at satire. SCTV had the bite of battery acid in its uncanny characterizations while SNL only snickered. End quote. SCTV would go on to inspire many shows, including The Simpsons. Matt Groening, who was a fan of SCTV, modeled the idea of Springfield on Mellonville and having a large cast of characters to use in episodes. The actors from SCTV would nearly all go on to big successes. Rick Moranis would have a strong acting career in movies such as Ghostbusters and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids before he retired in the 1990s to spend time with his children. Dave Thomas would have a steady acting career in several movies and television shows, as well as in voice acting. Joe Flaherty would also have a steady acting career appearing in movies such as Happy Gilmore and critically acclaimed shows such as Freaks and Geeks. Andrea Martin would act in everything from Star Trek to Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius, and she would also act heavily in theater and has been nominated for a Tony Award. Harold Ramis would become a celebrated director, creating such iconic movies as Caddyshack, National Lampoon's Animal House, and my personal favorite movie of all time, Groundhog Day. He would sadly pass away on February 24, 2014. Martin Short has worked steady since the days of SCTV, he became a cast member of Saturday Night Live and appeared in The Three Amigos, Mars Attacks, and Inner Space to name a few. He would also do extensive voice work and theater acting, even earning a Tony Award. Recently, he appeared in the fantastic show Only Murders in the Building, earning a Golden Globe nomination. 
Eugene Levy appeared in not only all of the American Pie movies, but in the movies of Christopher Guest, often co-writing the films beginning with Waiting for Guffman and continuing with Best in Show, A Mighty Wind, and more. He found renewed success from 2015 to 2020 in his role as Johnny Rose on Schitt's Creek, a show he co-created with his son Dan. In his career, he has won four Emmy Awards and a Grammy Award. Catherine O'Hara has had a prolific career acting in movies such as Beetlejuice, Home Alone, The Nightmare Before Christmas, and the movies of Christopher Guest, often being paired with Eugene Levy. She would also find massive success in Schitt's Creek, winning five consecutive Canadian Screen Awards. In her career, she has won a Golden Globe, two Screen Actor Guild Awards, two Emmy Awards, and six Canadian Screen Awards. In 2020, she was given the Governor General's Performing Arts Lifetime Artistic Achievement Award. The most famous cast member is, of course, John Candy. In the 1980s and 1990s, Candy became one of the biggest names in Hollywood and acted in several hit movies including National Lampoon's Vacation, Spaceballs, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck, Home Alone, Cool Runnings, and in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. A member of Canada's Walk of Fame since 1998, he's also been honored with a Canada Post stamp, and on October 31, 2020, it was declared John Candy Day in Toronto. Candy sadly died of a heart attack on March 4, 1994, at the age of 43. Hollywood still reacting to the shocking news. 43-year-old actor John Candy died in his sleep today of a heart attack. Bill Tush takes a look back at the career of this lovable comic actor. The attention of audiences as one of the featured players on SCTV in the late 70s. For his work, he won two Emmy Awards. But it was film that would make him a star. None more so than 1984's Splash. I love this guy! He's gonna be, I love him! It would also typecast the always overweight actor as the lovable big guy. Don't you want? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. You have kids? No, I don't. How come? It's an even longer story. Candy would play that character in a string of films throughout the 1980s and into the 90s. Although his appearance was always welcome, many of his later films were far from box office hits. Last year, his portly presence helped make Cool Runnings, the story of a Jamaican bobsled team, a hit. Later last year, Candy found himself on home turf, doing yet another comedy, Canadian Bacon. But more recently, he moved behind the cameras for a chance to direct an upcoming Fox TV movie, Hostage for a Day, admitting it was a change he welcomed. You start, you know, hitting the same rows every day, and you're going the same way, and as much as you try to change, the people controlling it don't want you to. And uh, so it starts becoming and, and not as much fun. It, it was getting to a point, and then this came along, and it was just a, a real big boost for me personally. A spokesperson for the company making Wagons East, what will become his last film, said that they were near completion at the time of his death. John Candy was 43. Cable TV's Comedy Central Network immediately scheduled a special tribute for Candy, which will air Saturday night. Of the main cast members, Eugene Levy, John Candy, Catherine O'Hara, Martin Short, and Dave Thomas have all been awarded the Order of Canada. In 2002, SCTV was inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame. For those who appeared on the show, it would remain one of the highlights of their lives. And I'm going to end this episode with a quote by Rick Moranis that he wrote in 1996 in the book SCTV Behind the Scenes, stating, quote, I think everyone involved agrees SCTV was the purest creative time. The irony of it is we may have all done our best work at the beginning of our careers. End quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at SCTV. 
Our next nostalgia episode will be Street Sense. And next week, I'm going to be looking at the life of the man who may have inspired James Bond, William Stevenson. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseeth, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from McLean's Canadian Encyclopedia, Wikipedia, Ottawa Journal, Vancouver Sun, Calgary Herald, Ottawa Citizen, Edmonton Journal, Windsor Star, Montreal Gazette, and the Red Deer Advocate. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.